Hello and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I am Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for joining us today. Today we're joined by Tom Sataris, minor league hitting coach for the Colorado Rockies. Tom has spent time coaching at every level. He was a high school English teacher and coach, a college coach, and is now the AA hitting coach for the Colorado Rockies. On the show, Tom shares with us some ways he has grown as a coach, especially getting to coach at every level. We talk about how to make changes with a player and how to ask questions to get to the root of the problem. And Tom dives deep into how to create a hitting culture. You're gonna love this episode with Tom Sataris. Tom, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Jonathan. Thanks for having me on. Definitely, definitely. And, uh, you know, a couple of months ago, uh, I got to spend some time with you on Zoom. A lot of time, actually, probably more time than we were expecting. But I was lucky enough to have you join us. And so I, I know that you're going to bring some some dynamite conversation. And so I'm really, really excited for the guests to get to learn about you today. But for them to kind of get to get an idea of, of your background, can you tell us a little bit about how you got started in really the game of baseball and why you decided to get into coaching? Um, yeah, absolutely, Jonathan. Well, th- like I said, I'm, I'm excited to be on here because obviously I've listened to your podcast for years and actually to be on here is kind of, it, it's real exciting for me. So, um, ba- basically my background is, I, I mean, I've been a baseball rat since I was five years old. It's all I've ever wanted to do. I never went off. I never had any desire to get into another line of work to, to make a lot of money. Um, and Obviously, you know, that that's what led me here today. So I was kind of that classic player. I was a pretty good player in high school, you know, pretty good player in college and played some independent ball. But I was probably the guy you looked at and said, hey, he's going to make a nice coach someday because I think my heart was more than my talent. So um, so basically a couple of things I want to share that I think are important for me is my why is why I'm here is I, I basically was in middle school and you know, I love baseball and I was kind of a kid just kind of cruising along in eighth grade. I wasn't getting in trouble or anything, but I just really had no focus on anything. I was just kind of getting by and, you know, playing my sports and doing whatever. Um, and I got to high school and I had a coach named Ken Frank and basically Ken Frank was, he, he could have been a character on the Sopranos. That's just kind of how he looked. He was intense. He held you to a standard and, and playing for him, it gave me the opportunity, opportunity to, like really lock in on something because if you didn't show up, he was going to let you know about it. And he was very intense and um, we had a great program. We won a bunch of state championships over the years at that school. And to me, he made a difference in my life. He brought me in and gave me a purpose. He gave me an identity and gave me something that I want to be. So I'm always forever thankful to him. Um, And and that kind of led me down that path um, into baseball. And and basically since then, I never, I've never wanted to do anything else. You know, I've always wanted to be on a ball field. Um, And so, so basically my background is I played high school ball in New Jersey. Like I said, my, you know, Ken Frank was a soprano type of character. Um, And I, from there, I was able to get a scholarship to the university of Tennessee. Um, I went down there and probably at that point they said, man, how do we get this guy? I don't think he's real raw. He doesn't know what he's doing yet. Um, And and that led me to, you know, they basically told me you weren't, you know, I wasn't going to have much of a chance to play. Um, But what I did have the opportunity to do at University of Tennessee was meet a gentleman named Mike Barnett, where Ken Frank gave me the opportunity to love the game of baseball and love the intensity and love a focus and a purpose. Mike Barnett taught me a lot about player development. 
and I'll never forget this. And I have to share the story because I'd be remiss if I had this interview and didn't mention it because to me, it was so crucial in my development and identifies, you know, the role of a coach. And what he did was it was the first time I'd ever seen video because I'm old and, and, I, and I got to see some video of myself. And in that video, I was basically, my head was over my front knee when he stopped the video. My, my arms were extended away from my body. And I was probably in the worst possible position you could ever be to hit a baseball. And it was kind of funny because I was swinging the bat pretty well at that time. And, you know, SEC, who gets some good pitchers. And I looked at the video and I could see guys in the room looking at each other like saying, wow, look at this. And Mike Barnett looked at me and, you know, might have been some coach talk at the time. But he looked at me and said, Tommy, goes, look at that position you're in right there. He goes, and think about how well you're hitting the ball. Imagine how good you're going to be when we get you into the right position. And from that day, I was hooked. And whatever Mike Barnett said, I was in on. And, and I think that's what we have to realize as coaches, the impact that we have. Um, and, and I think that's it, it's just crucial for our, for understanding that every word we say to a guy actually matters. Um, so I just wanted to touch on those two guys. And that, that's my why. And that's why I'm here. But essentially, I, you know, as, as I told you, I, I started New Jersey high school, went to Tennessee. I transferred out of there, went to a great junior college in New Jersey called Brookdale Community College. And finally, I transferred down to Lynn University, a small NAIA school down in South Florida. Uh, from that opportunity, I was able to sign and play independent ball. Um, I blew up my uh, my knee my junior year. And I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but I ended up not getting drafted. and might have something to do with my limited talent as well. But, uh, but I ended up in indie ball and had a nice run there. I played three years of independent ball. But while I was doing the independent ball, I was able to serve as a coach at a school called Northwood University in West Palm Beach, uh, Florida, and it's now called Kaiser University. But uh, I had the opportunity to start coaching there. Um, at that point, I kind of felt I had a teaching degree. Um, I felt like I actually did want to make more than $12,000 a year. So I moved up to New Jersey and I, I returned to coach at my old high school. Um, coach Frank gave me a great opportunity there. I was then able to start a new, brand new program at Barnegat High School. And I, I took that over for five years. Well, about that point, my wife, uh, who's been really supportive of my career, her mother had a stroke and my wife is a native Texan and she wanted to get back to close to her mother down in San Antonio, Texas. So she said, I, I want to move back to Texas, be close to my mother. I said, if I can get back in the college game, uh, I'm in. I said, because I had forgotten, you know, I, I'd gotten away in New Jersey, I have three months to work with players and I missed the player development portion of it where you had a chance to sit down in a cage and work with the kid and really slow things down. I was able to go down there. I picked up at a division two school. I, I helped out there, um, which I started working Texas baseball camps in summer university of Texas. And I eventually was able to get a full-time position at the university of Texas. Um, I was in a operations role. And from there, I left uh, my last year right to, to go to the University of Incarnate Word and help Pat Hallmark get that program going. And about that time, I'd gotten the opportunity with the Rockies. Um, I got a call um, and the interview went well and I was able to pick up there. And, you know, I'm now my third year with the Rockies. And unfortunately, we're not on the ball field right now. So, Tom, you know, one thing that, that I think that that you bring that is a little bit unique is you've literally coached at every level, which I think is absolutely fantastic. So even in the high school realm, you've coached in small school college, you've coached in division one, and now you're in double A with the Rockies. And so I just tell us a little bit about how you think each of those levels has made you a better coach. Like what are some different just 
takeaways that we can hear from you that we can take in and, and just make that our make our own and, and learn from your experiences at each level. But just what are some different things that you've learned along the way at each step? Um, on, honestly, I would tell you one of the big things I learned was when I first started coaching, I was I was probably over the top intense. And as I started to coach younger kids, and, and that, that kind of came from you know, my high school experience where we were, we were very intense about things. It was a very disciplined program. And over the time, I've kind of evolved because as you start coaching younger kids, you start to realize you're intense. They're going to go into a shell. And, and over the years, I think that, you know, understanding that each level um, you go down, you have to understand that their confidence level it gets lower and lower at every level they go down. So I think it's allowed me to learn more patience um, as I've gone through. And I think right now, as you know, as it relates to our guys, I'm really, really patient and I'm, I'm really a much better listener than I used to be. So I think every level you go to, there's, there's a different and unique experience. Um, And it's funny, the professional guys, you know, like you can get away with something to a high school kid that maybe you realize later, like maybe that didn't make as much sense as I thought it did. If you say something like that to a professional guy, they're going to recognize it right away and you're going to lose some credibility. So I think I've learned to be much more careful with my words and much more um, sure of what I'm saying before I express a thought. Again, I just love hearing how people are growing, because I think if, if you can nail that and, and you can understand how you're growing, then I, then obviously you are, you're not stuck with where you're at. And, and I, again, knowing you personally, I know that you're not. And, and I think that's, that's something that if you look back and you don't shake your head at some of the different things that you did, then you probably haven't grown a ton. And I know, I know that I've got 10 years of, of good and some shaking my head experiences and the different things that I do. And, and then I'll, I'll probably have some in the next 10 years, which again, with, with growth that happens, we're just trying to fail a little bit less than we did yesterday. But really another thing that, that, that is interesting that you get to do is, is you get to work with a lot of well-refined players. So as you mentioned earlier, you are in double A, which they're a step away from the big leagues and they're fairly mature, you know, probably early to mid twenties players and obviously all dependent. But what are some different ways that you are an advocate for them? So again, they've gotten to that level without you for the most part. And so you're, you're wanting to help them and you're wanting to guide them and to give them the information that they want and the help that they need. But it's also a trust building exercise because again, they don't know you really that well until maybe spring training or the off season before. So how, what are some different ways that you go about really helping to gain trust with players to get to know them and just some, just some different advice along that realm. Um, no, that's, that, that's definitely a great point. And, and one of the expressions I heard years ago that I, that has always resonated with me is uh, before you show them how much, you know, you have to show them how much you care. And I think by having genuine conversations, finding out about our players personally, like, Hey, where, you, you know, where you've been, how's your family? What do you have for what siblings? We like to do a lot of that and, and kind of dive into the person first before I show him anything about his swing. Um, yeah, they want to know that you care about them. And obviously, I think being an advocate for them and asking them questions and, and getting their input before we make any changes is so crucial. It's such a crucial part of the development because that's where the trust starts. Um, kind of funny. So a funny story. I had a guy's a big leaguer. Um, he was a minor leaguer at the time. 
And one of my first, the first time I ever walked in a cage in affiliated baseball with the Rockies, I went in, a guy was hitting off the tee and I, and I started setting some balls on the tee. Now, you know, it's my first time out there. My adrenaline's going and the guy takes literally five swings and he turns to me and goes, what do you think? And I turned to him. I said, I don't think anything yet. I've seen you take five swings off a tee. I've, yeah, I have nothing for you yet. I just want to keep watching and observing. And he shook his head. He ended up telling me about a week later that he was testing me because he's had, you know, he's had a coach experiences where somebody tries to give him information right away. And they start trying to change his swing to show how much they know. And he was basically testing to see if I was going to be one of those guys. So it's really interesting. That literally one minute into my Rockies experience, I, I learned a valuable lesson like that to listen before I start making suggestions. And it, for me, it was a great, it was a great test and a great learning experience. No, I love that story. And again, thank you for sharing that with us because I, man, it gives me nightmares thinking about some of the things that I did whenever I was, you know, younger. And again, we're probably all going to go through this at some point in our, in our career to where we look back and go, dang, that was stupid. And I was the opposite of that. You know, my first couple of years of coaching is I would want to jump right in and help because again, out of a, out of a servant, you know, mindset of wanting to help them to get better, I would notice things. And now it's it's taken to the point to where it's like, okay, I need to check all of these different boxes before I think a certain thing because we all have biases. And so I love hearing that story for you. And I love getting to to hear that, especially with the player, because that's really cool that he was testing you. Because if you what, what would have happened, do you think, if you had, had started to critique his swing? What do you think he would have said? I honestly think he would have shut me down and uh basically tuned me out completely at that point yeah i'm sure he wouldn't have been rude but he would have probably just said okay this guy's out with me so kind of interesting so over the course of spring training like i said he was on the cusp of the big leagues at the time i would feed him from time to time because we had you know we end up talking a little bit that day and later on i asked him a question about why he you know hit off the tee a certain way he did why he did that move and he goes well and eventually he asked me why. And I said, because I think, yeah, I basically gave my opinion on what I thought would be a better plan of action for him. And he was like, I like that. And he actually changed that and implemented it into his routine, which I was like, wow, that's awesome. Then the next year he came in, he was working on that same thing we talked about. And I thought it was really neat that, you know, if I hadn't established a trust, it would have been, you know, it never would have happened. So I thought it, for me, it was really exciting. Oh, that is really cool. And uh, obviously it's never about me, but you know, sure. for me personally, it was exciting. Sure. No. And, and that's something that we, I think we can all learn is picking our spots and it, we can go with cliches all day, I'm sure. And, and for the most part, a lot of cliches are, are true. And like you said uh, earlier, you talked about them getting to, to know how much you care before really stepping in and doing some different things. And then I, I think that, the teacher will show up when the student is ready is another cliche you could say that that is so so true and i really like that and it, it's something that i think we all have to go through that growth and we have to go through just understanding that but that's something that again with with this podcast now over 200 episodes there's been so many times that that has been referenced that you start to listen i hope and i know i have and and that's something that i have definitely changed since the first days of coaching too but let's let's go ahead and let's talk about evaluating a new player you mentioned that you were watching this player you know player zed on a tee and you were you were evaluating him uh, 
just on the inside without having to tell him and then trying to decide what was important, what wasn't, what was his style versus what's going to help him get better. And so what are some different things that you look for whenever you are evaluating a new player? Because I, I think you mentioned earlier that you were doing some different personal training. And so I'm assuming that you do some different lessons with younger guys. And again, you've worked from high school to small college to division one to now double A with the Rockies. And so you've gotten to see so many different players along the way. What are some of your things that you look for whenever you are evaluating a new player and then they do come to you asking for help? Well, obviously the first part of the equation is I am obviously when I'm watching them, I'm watching mechanically. I always start when I look mechanically, I always start with the lower half because I think if that's not, you know, if it's not starting correctly down there, it's all going to go up the kinetic chain. So, um, so basically I look there and then I start to work my way up the body. But obviously when I'm evaluating that player, I think a lot of times the mechanical stuff, um, comes from things that are going on between the ears. So I do have to ask them questions. And I know, yeah, I'm probably going to dive into this a lot because to me, the relationship is so, so crucial. If we want to be great coaches is asking the questions of why they're doing certain things. Um, how does he perceive himself? You know, we've all had that middle infield that that's been told his entire life. Hey, just play defense. I don't care what you do on offense. And now you get that guy in pro ball. And he comes to you and he doesn't think he's a good hitter. He's thinking, hey, I just got to move runners. I just got to, you know, hang in there and, and, and handle the bat. And they give all these cliches. When I want this kid to realize he has great eye-hand coordination. He's athletic. He's quick. He could be a great offensive player. And if you don't dive into the mind and figure out how he perceives himself, is he yes man who's never going to tell you anything? I think all of those things, and I, I, we may be wanting to dive into mechanics here with this question, Jonathan, but I think really understanding what goes on between the ears, what his approach is, what his thought process is, is kind of where I always have to go first. Obviously, from a mechanical point, I'm going to look at that lower half and work up the chain. Um, I like to work at where he where he is when his front heel hits the ground. That's one of the big ones for me. Does he have rhythm? Does he control his, you know, his forward move and does he have space? Does he have timing? Um, all those things are going to come into play, but I, I want to understand what his mindset is because if he's not thinking, if he's thinking I'm trying to slap the ball the other way and not drive the ball in the gaps, that's going to affect his, his move mechanically. So to me, it's, there's so many things we have to look at. Um, but I definitely want to get in between the ears to find out what's going on. No, I love that. And I think you nailed that. Yeah. Yes. It may be a mechanical question, but also we know the, what, like we know we've seen almost every single drill that's out there and you could easily find that stuff on YouTube. But I think that really good coaches such as yourself, you understand the why and the how behind it. So let's, let's just go over a situation. So let's say that I, I come to you and I'm like, Tom, dude, I, man, I'm, I'm the guy you just described the light hitting infielder. And so you would literally just, just ask them, say, Hey, why do you do this? And just have them answer it for you. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it's, it, the conversation to me happened organically. You know, it's, it always starts with, Hey, what, what are you feeling on that swing right there? When maybe he hits one really, really well. And then maybe he doesn't hit one really well. What, what was, did anything feel different on that? And I always emphasize, don't just tell me what I want to hear because we have it. We get a lot, you know, a lot of guys that come in and, you know, what I call yes, man, he's just going to tell you what you want to hear. For me, I, I emphasize that it has to be honest feedback. 
don't tell me what I want to hear. If I say, hey, did that feel good or how did that feel? And you know I'm excited about it. Don't give me the answer that I want to hear. I need to be, I need the truth from you. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I want to know what is going in, in your mind, what you're trying to do, what you were hunting, all these things tie together and kind of the things to me are the mental game. What, you know, are you feeling the stress of what's going on around you in certain situations? Um, so I love to coach a mental game, you know, and our, we have a great mental skills coordinator, Doug Chadwick, and he has a great group with him, but they're not with us every day. So we have to take, take hold of some of that mental game. Um, what's his approach? What's he trying to do against this guy? You know, this lefty that's soft tossing lefty. What was his approach? What was he trying to do? Um, obviously we dive into the mechanics and, and then if I do find something that we, you know, where we see a mechanical move, everything's going right between the ears, but he's, he's mechanically, there's a deficiency or an inefficient movement. Then what I like to do is think about what can make that move better. Before I go in and tell this kid he has something going on with a swing, I want to think about what drill can we do that can help fix this move and help make this a more efficient move. Because sometimes rather than diving right into mechanics, what I like to do is, and this is where the trust factor comes in, say, hey, let's try this drill. Can I, can I try this one with you? And most of the time, if there's a trusting relationship, I say, yeah, I'll give it a try. I'm like, I just want to see something. And what that might do is that might create a more efficient move mechanically for him. And he doesn't even realize why he's doing it with our guys at our level. I think afterwards we have to share with them. Hey, I did that drill because I feel like, you know, you were getting disconnected early there. Um, and I know you can feel that move. We talked about it yesterday. And now with this drill, I feel like you, to me, you looked more connected when that drill happened. And obviously we get some blasts and we get some sensors and, and see if that works. But, but we like to, I like to find drills that help the move. So then we can explain why we're doing that drill. And if he understands the why um, and why we're doing it, a lot of times they buy in on that drill. And now we haven't gotten into his head and gotten a paralysis by analysis because he's not thinking about the mechanical move. He's thinking about executing that drill with an external focus. So that was great, great information. And I, I love that. So here's the three-step process that I wrote down. And I, I really like this because I, I think that this is this is really, really important for learning. You asked why. So they got to share their experience. Then you said, hey, would you want to try that? So now they're trying to own the experience. And now you ask the recap and tell them, tell them what you saw, probably ask how they felt. And now you're recapping the experience. So you're not only just telling them to do a drill to whether or not they buy in or not, you're actually getting pretty deep with that situation. And I just, I just want to, you know, commend you on that because I think that that's, that's really, really good. And so let's talk about a player who is struggling a little bit. And uh, again, this is kind of, kind of alludes back to the point that you just made, but let's say that you have a player, you've been working with him for a little while. Let's say he's, he's a minor leaguer again. So he's, so he had, he hasn't come to you necessarily, but you are tech, you know, you are the hitting coach. And so let's say that you see a problem and he may not. Does that make sense? So you see you see a change that he probably needs to make. This is over several weeks and you've done all of your homework on this. What does that conversation look like whenever you want a player who, again, doesn't come to you, but you may approach him. Uh, you already have built a relationship, but you may want to make him, you want to suggest a change for him. What does that conversation look like? Good. Well, 
first of all, I think if if it's a change that I want and he doesn't want, that's going to have to be a drastic situation, first of all, because if if it's coming strictly from me and he doesn't have ownership of it, it's generally not going to work, even if it's the right decision for him. So in those situations, it, it, it's basically, you know, you got to do this or, or you're not going to make it, you know, and I don't, I don't like I haven't honestly in Pro Bowl, I haven't been in that situation yet. I've had to make some changes, um, but nothing drastic to that extent where he didn't take ownership of it. Because I think without his ownership, that move is generally going to it's going to really have a tough time because as soon as he has a bad day, which is going to happen in pro baseball, he's going to go back to what he knows best. And and there's going to be no trusting the process on that move. So if we do a suggestion and, and there's something that needs to be changed and I know it has to change. And he's not quite bought in yet. Honestly, I have to sell him on it. And the way I think the best way to sell him on that move is to show data. Um, for example, if we have a, if you have a kid who has a chase rate that's off the charts, he just chases a ton and he's had success. He's, you know, he's, he's hit at every level. He's hit for power and, you know, he's in, he's in low A ball. And man, all these numbers add up, you know, fans look at all the numbers that you see and, and everything he does is right. But he has four walks and he has 122 strikeouts. At some point in time, that is going to catch up to him. So one of the best ways for a guy like that to learn is show him how many guys in the big leagues had those splits when they were in a ball and there will be none of them. Because those guys generally, that's that's there's some of the key components that don't allow you to make that switch. So in that example, you show him that these guys didn't make it. Hey, this guy did this, 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 but then he never made it because pitchers at the higher levels exposed him. So I think showing data is really crucial. Another way is you look at you know somebody who has a high swing and miss rate in the zone, or you know we we did the chase rate, but a high swing or miss rate in the zone. How many of those guys make it to the next level? We could show guys this, these were his numbers. So I think really data is one of the best teaching points because players, if you give them hard data versus opinions, they're more likely to buy in. If, if they're skeptical at that point, I think hard data is some of the best way uh, for that to happen. Uh, one of the other good ways is showing video. If he has a move that doesn't work, stop the video at the same point for him and five other big leaguers. And say, look, this guy doesn't get here. This guy doesn't get here. Now, every guy's different. You might say, well, I can get there. You might get there in A ball, but are you going to get there in the majors? And that's our ultimate goal is to develop major leaguers, not develop good A ball players. Um, obviously, that's part of it. But we, you know, our goal is to create big leaguers and we have to allow them to see a vision. If we don't have a vision for them of what they're trying to get to, then, you know. I don't know what we're doing here. Our goal is to develop big leaguers and we have to create that vision for them that maybe they can't see at 20 years old. No, fantastic answer. You've mentioned the mental game several different times and that that's really a, an all encompassing word on, on a lot of different facets, but you talked off the mic and we were texting earlier this week about that's, that's part of your favorite game to teach. So kind of dive into that a little bit for us and give us, you know, give us how you do it, what you do, what your favorite part is. Let's just dive deep right into it. Well, let me first off tell you that I am a lefty and my mind definitely works differently than a lot of people. So <laughs> I, I, I do some stuff probably that other people look at me and think it's a little bit different. Um, and I'm OK with that. I embrace that. Um, 
essentially what I try to do is create a culture. Um, and, and I think when you create a hitting culture, and that's why I talked about getting in between the ears of that middle infielder who doesn't think he could hit or that catcher who's, you know, just say keep playing defense and whatever you give us offensively is a bonus, that kind of stuff. If your mindset is like that, you're never going to exceed expectations. To me, one of my biggest jobs as a hitting coach is to make hitters believe that they are better than they are. Now, that doesn't mean I, I blow smoke and, and, and just tell things that aren't true. I, I can be honest with them, but I want them to think they're better than they are because if they do everything and they continue to improve, they could be that guy. I don't give an unrealistic vision. I don't tell our 140-pound leadoff guy that he could hit 30 home runs. That's unrealistic. But what I want him to do is he believe that he is better than he is. And to me, you have to create a culture. Um, yeah, we, we create a culture with our team where basically one of the things, so here's a good learning lesson I had my first year in California. Um, Lancaster, California, where I was the last two years gets really cold in April and May at night. Cause it's a windy city. Okay. Um, and that's really well known in baseball that, it, that it's windy there. Well, I'll tell you what we got there. It was some of the, it was colder than some of the games I played in New Jersey growing up. Um, a lot of those nights in Lancaster. So a couple times early, we got out there and, and our guys got out there and you could tell they were cold. And I don't think we performed as well as we should have because I think the cold impacted us. So what I like to do is create a culture of saying, you know, we, we, I learned this from Doug Chadwick and I also learned this from Ken Revisa when he was at Texas um, was basically whatever happens. Good. The umpire's got a big zone tonight. Good. It's, it's 30 degrees outside and windy. Good. You know, it, you know, we had a long commuter trip today. Good. And we looked at a point where we started embracing all the things that are really challenging about pro baseball, because pro baseball, you know, people tell you it's a grind, but I'll tell you what, when you are out on that road for minors, 140 games, majors, 162 plus playoffs, it is an absolute grind. So having the right mindset and not accepting Oh, it's, I'm tired today. We had a long trip, so we're going to be flat today. That is not acceptable. And creating that culture, I think, is, is so important. The other aspect that I think is crucial is eliminating that fear of failure. Pro baseball players are going to fail. It doesn't matter if they sign for $5 million and they're you know, the number three prospect in baseball. They are going to have a lot of tough days. It's just the nature of the game. And Eliminating that fear of failure is so hard. I mean, that's like, and we talked earlier about the levels that, you know, you coach at. Those kids in high school are terrified to fail. Kids in college are terrified to fail. But each level you go up, I think it gets a little bit less. The less fear of failure you have and the more you play the game free and without worrying about making a mistake, it's amazing what you can accomplish. So I love to create that culture. And I, and I just believe in positivity. You know, I'm going to dive into that. Uh, positivity is such a it, it it really makes a difference i mean we get out there certain days and even as coaches you know you feel your body's like man if i'm if my body feels like this i imagine what their body feels like they're actually playing the game um but if you go out there with an energy that next day you, and you're tired you can't let the kids see that and I, I don't let the kids come in if they come in the cage i'll tell them hey get your energy get rolled out do whatever you gotta do but we gotta come in here it's time to work and, and I'm pretty positive, but like we have to make that positive energy uh, there and we have to make sure their minds are right every single day. And I don't think we could take days off as coaches where we come in and go through the motions. It has to be an everyday thing. No, I really, really like that. And again, thank you. 
thank you for diving into that. And, and so let's, let's just, let's just, uh, talk, a, talk a little bit about that. And let's talk about a player who, let's say we're in the middle of the season and let's say that, you know, player X is struggling. And I, and I know that, that let's just say at the plate and, and I know that that's kind of an open question, but mm-hmm. what's your process in helping that player to, you know, be positive and believe in their self? Because let's say that they're, let's say that it's me and I'm over 25 with like 15 punch outs. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. Tom, I can't see the ball. Like it looks like it, it, it's a BB right now. And, and so I, I, again, you, there's so many different things that you could go into as, as far as you probably have an eye on that anyways, but mm-hmm. just for the sake of the podcast, what's your process in deciding how to help that player that's struggling during the season? Well, number one thing, when a guy's struggling and every, and everyone around him knows he's struggling, um, I think one of the most important things is to get him alone. Whether you shoot him a text message at night and, and tell him you have an idea, you think you have something that's going to help him. But if you get him to buy into that um, mindset that, hey, we got something for you. Now, maybe they come to the park optimistic that next day. Um, sometimes I'll go grab lunch with them. Hey, let's go grab some lunch and talk a little bit. To me, getting that kid alone is really crucial because now he's going to he might share his insecurities with you. He might share what he's feeling a little bit more. But if, if you just have him in a normal cage environment, he's less apt to share that. So what we like to do is we'll get some early work. If we think it's something that could be done on the field, uh, we'll get him out there by himself. Uh, doing early work, which is, you know, part of my normal day. We usually have early work, but I might say, hey, just you, let's go out tomorrow. Let's spend some time and feel what we need to feel. Um, I think sometimes if we can get that part of it, um, I think it's important. Obviously, you talked about a real stretch. The other challenge, I think, with that whole situation is the kid who is 0 for his last 10, and he's, you know, he's feeling pressure for whatever reason, whether he's not playing as much, whether he's a prospect and thinks he, you know, He's letting the organization down. Whatever his situation is, um, is recognizing that even though he's 0 for his last 10 and I think he looks great, he knows he's 0 for 10. So I think being cognizant of that struggle that he's dealing with is, is crucial. Um, and recognizing that before he gets in the cage. So when he's like, you know, like he looks different, you can see in his eyes, you're like, what's going on? I shouldn't, I have to know that ahead of time. But that guy who's struggling, I think just getting him alone and reminding him how good he is. I don't care how much, how long these guys have been playing. I don't care how successful they are. At every point in time, every player we have has self-doubt. And reminding these kids how good they are is crucial. And if you have to get them alone to remind them how good they are and have that quiet conversation in a non-threatening environment, I think that's essential for um, him him coming out of those struggles. Um, the other thing is emphasizing the process over the results. So if you have a kid who is you know, struggling lately and he's swinging at everything under sun, let's evaluate tonight on whether you swing at the right pitches, because I know if you swing at the right pitches, you're going to be okay. And, and maybe going about a different way of evaluating his success, as opposed to just did I get hits? Because, you know, probably in your 0 for 25, you probably had a night where you hit you know, three line drives and they were all at somebody. So that, you know, that that's the part of it that I think kids lose perspective on. And we talk about it all the time. We can't chase it. We got to understand the process. Got to understand there's going to be ups and downs. But if we stay in that process, uh, we have a chance to be successful. No, that's so, so good. And again, it's uh, for uh, a lot of different ways, especially during the middle of the season, some, some different mechanical changes can happen. But for the most part, it's we're, 
we're reverting to we're not as good as we think we are. And like you said, anyone who's listening who has a heart, which is everyone, they, we all have self-doubt in different areas. And that's something that, that the older that I get, the more that I realize, because again, we all have this imposter syndrome or we think that we, we may not be as good as other people, but we also look at other people's highlights and we remember our own low lowlights uh, more than more than anything else, because we know ourselves, even though somebody else may not know us as well. So that's so, so good. And and I like that you referenced the 0 for 10 guy, too, and to just don't freak out, man. It's it's OK. And I, I like that. That's really, really good. So let's talk about what what an in game and dugout conversation would look like then. And let's say that there's there you've got basically Max Scherzer on the mound and, and he's dealing and you've got some different players that, that you're talking with through and, and just what is, what are some different things that you look for in a game? What are some different things that you, what are some different words or conversations that you have and, and how can we get better at that in dugout conversation to really adjust to what we're seeing without having to overhaul everything and freak everybody out? What's, what's kind of the balance there, I guess is what I'm asking. Good. Well, uh, real quick, I want to go back into the previous thing, and I'll go right back to that real quickly. Uh, The one thing is when a guy's struggling, I like to send him video of when he's going good. We have a tendency as coaches to show him his bad video and what he's doing wrong, which is only going to, you know, amplify the problem. So basically what what I like to do is if a guy's really struggling, I send him video of all his good hits. And, and what that guy does, because he's feeling so lousy, he'll watch that thing, he'll watch that reel five times in a row. And Jeff Nelson, our video guy, does a great job of getting me stuff like that. And and I like, I, I'm like, can we send this? And then I'll share it with him. And watching that good video helps. So um, I think that's that's big. So so the, so the game planning aspect of things. Um, one of the things I think when a game is going tough and you have, you know, your Max Scherzer or whoever on the mound, somebody that's absolutely dominating you at that point, what I always try to emphasize to our guys, guys, he is human. He's a, he's he's right now he's in his own. All it takes is one pitch to change this entire game. And so what we do is we emphasize I'm playing one pitch at a time. And that, that's one of my big points of emphasis. Obviously, if there's a game plan, if he's, He's, you know, we were spitting on a slider because he never throws for a strike and he's thrown, you know, 15 for strikes already. Obviously, there might be some kind of change in our approach. But in terms of it, what we try to emphasize is that, guys, at some point he's going to have a bad inning. Nobody goes nine innings and they're called perfect games where they don't make mistakes. So they're very rare. So minor league guys, we tell them they're going to he's going to have a bad inning. We just have to trust, stay in our process, trust our plan. And when we get that pitch and he, he hangs that one breaking ball, we hit a double. Now he gets in a stretch. The whole game can change. And it's funny just kind of taking that approach of winning individual pitches and trying to break the game down. And, and I know it's cliche and I know we say it all the time. And they actually it's kind of one of the things they make fun of me at because I'm like, win this pitch. Like we emphasize it so often because when that guy's going good, we say, hey guys, if we can win an individual pitch, one individual pitch, we can change this game. So just win one pitch at a time. We emphasize it so much. I think we did a really good job. And we had, I think we had like 20-something comebacks this year. I think a lot of it had to do with the mindset of the guys of not re- that realizing his, you know, nine up, nine down for the first three innings with, you know, five punch outs was he was going to come back to earth because he's still he's still a pitcher in high A ball and he's, he's going to make mistakes no matter how talented he is. There was a 
There was a uh, saying that I heard the other day that I thought was really, really good. And it's something that, that, again, when you do this podcast or when I do this podcast, there are things that I say over and over and over again. And I, I think people are tired of hearing it. <laughs> but one of the things that I heard the other day that it really resonated with me was whenever you are finally getting tired of saying something, it's when people are starting to hear it or listen. And whether you're not, you know, we, we can debate here or listen or whatever that means, but whenever they're finally starting to get it. And I, I thought that that was so true as a coach, because, you know, we, I think back to myself and in, in past, past instances where I'm like, man, we went over this bunt defense like 17 different times. And, you know, if <laughs> it, there's, there's a difference between being bored with it, but also, you know, saying it over and over and over and over enough to reiterate how important it is. And so, I think that that's really good with the win this pitch. You know, he has an ERA. He's going to miss pitches. We just have to put in constant pressure. And I think that that's really, really good. But I did skip over the game planning. So let's let's back up a little bit to kind of the day of a game. What does that day look like for, for you as far as meetings go? I You know, I, I don't know how deep you can get into the game planning aspect of it, but it's something that I think is really, really, really important in the space that you are in to be able to game plan well and to have those players to have confidence because again we're facing Max Scherzer later tonight what are some different things that you guys go over just to instill the confidence in him, in them and to make sure that they're ready to go and and they have enough information without giving them you know too much information and then them freezing up good now uh, to me i obviously um what i do is on the night night after we finish our game before I'll get video of the next the guy we're going to see the next night. Um, I will I will send out his name, say hey, we're seeing so and so tomorrow. This way, if they're one of those guys that want to sit at home, some of them you know might just want nothing to do with it. And they need to decompress. That's fine. But I'll just send out in the text who's pitching. Some of them might look at it the next morning. Some of them might look at it that night. But then what I do is I I try to dive into the numbers of basically what I see. And and like I said, I'm not going to share all that information. But I do want to see you know what how he's trying to get guys out. And if you we get this has been the neat thing about pro ball. We get so much information. So for me to learn, like, why, what is this guy trying to do? I could look at those and kind of tell you without even watching the guy, what, he, how he's going to try to get you out, what, what his plan is. So, so I'll look at all that stuff the night before I'll look at the video. Um, I'll dive into his numbers. And then the next day, basically for me personally, I go in and get a workout in the morning. It's my, it's my one time of day that I really try to <laughs> take care of myself a little bit. Uh, then on the field, I'll look at some more video. I'll do all my prep work, all the paperwork I need to do in terms of batting groups, who, who's coming early. Obviously, the night before, I'll text him who has early hitting on the field. I'll offer voluntary, and guys will be letting me know, hey, I want to come in today, uh, depending on how their body feels. Um, then basically, I'll do early work on the field for whoever needs it. That's always an option. Um, if we are doing something like, for example, say I want everyone to do some curveball machine, and certain guys – don't feel like they need curve, you know, they don't like to do the curveball machine for game. I tell them everything before cage work is preparing for the big leagues, what they're doing after that, when they get to the cage, that could be preparing them for 705 that night. So I, I want to understand they have to develop to be a big leaguer and they have to prepare to be great tonight. So we try to separate those two things. Um, after I do the early work, I'll go to the cages um, and guys will come in and we'll have different. Yeah. I don't, I was kind of loose with it last year and guys had a system where they came in and, and they got their work in. And, and to me, that's as crucial as anything else they do on that day. I don't like their first swings. Obviously 
uh, being in batting practice. I want them to get some work in before. Uh, we have a staff meeting, then we kind of meet, make some announcements to the team. It's batting practice. Then we have our hitters meeting. Um, and then they kind of get their dinner, and then it'll be the last swings before the game. The hitters meeting for me consists of, obviously, we know what he throws. We'll share video. Video will be in the locker room all day. I'll have my iPad in there so they can look at it. And, you know, guys look at it separately at their own time when it works for them, and they do some visualization with it. Um, but in that meeting, I share kind of basic information. I talk about some things that I see with the video. Um, you know, some, if there's some big trends that I see, I might, I might address those, but I don't dive too into too much detail. And the reason I don't do that is because certain guys can handle more information. Certain guys can handle less information. And it'd be silly of me to make a generalization with, you know, 12 different hitters whose mind work 12 different ways. So what I allow those conversations to do is happen organically over the course of the day. You know, I'll see a guy say, Hey, what do you, you know, what do you got on this guy? And we'll talk about it and, and he'll give his opinion because as hitting coaches, we don't want to tell guys, Hey, have a plan up there. We want to give an idea and steer them in the right direction of what is a good plan. Be the, as you told me, you know, last week, be the bumpers for them to make sure that their plan makes actual sense. You know, we don't want a guy looking for a guy with a nasty slider. It's almost unhittable to go up looking for that slider because it's a good one. Now we want to hit the pitch that we can actually handle as opposed to looking for the one that we can't handle. Um, so, so we try to be the bumpers for them in that, but you know, a lot of those conversations will happen organically. They'll happen, you know, when we see as the game's developing in the fourth inning, we, we don't send our hitting coaches, do not go coach the bases. So I'll be on that top step and guy will be in the hole and we'll, we'll have a little brief conversation. Hey man, he's struggling right now throwing that breaking ball. So, you know, we can, we could probably eliminate that pitch and now we can hunt a fastball uh, and expect a fastball because he's struggling with spin, you know? So those, a lot of those conversations happen organically because, like I said, each guy handles information differently. No, really, really good. And, and thank you for going into your routine. I think that that's something that it's so important for us as coaches to get into a good routine. And like you mentioned, the, one of the first things you do when you get up is to take care of your body, take care of your, of your mind. And, and I think that's, that's so, so important and something that we neglect a lot of times. And, and I know that I, I'm myself, I'm putting that at the forefront of my day as well, just because I want to be, I want to be better at the end of the day for our guys, you know, and, and we don't want to be so just hopped up on, on sugar that, or, or energy drinks or whatever, or pre-workout that, that we're just dead by the end of the day and, and just setting our, setting our day up for success like that, I think is really, really important. But let's go ahead and, and get into some lightning style questions and just to get okay. to know you a little bit better. Uh, again, I'm just going to take a step back, mute myself and let you roll. But what's something that you've learned lately that's gotten you really excited? Honestly, to me, we have one of the best, you know, Trevor Schwartz is our minor league, you know, strength and conditioning coordinator, um, performance center. And he basically, he and I have been touching base a lot because I've always, you know, looked, hey, they do their thing in there. And I do my thing in the cage, you know, and, and I've kind of operated separately, not on purpose, not to try to push him away, but that's just, you know, he did his thing and I, I was so focused on my job. Well, I'm trying to find a good connection between how the body moves, what these guys do in the weight room and how it connects to what I'm trying to do out here on the field. And you know, sometimes we get in the cage and we think, Hey, this guy's having a great year and you feel good about what's been accomplished. Well, 
a lot of that happened because of the work, work they did in the weight room with Trevor and, you know, our strength staff, which are amazing. Mason and all the Phil, they're all, they're amazing guys that do great things. But uh, I've been zooming with him and just trying to pick his brain every day. He's got so much on his plate and I'm probably annoying him, but he'd never, he's never turned me away and he's always there to help. So I, I feel blessed to learn that part of the game a little bit better this off season. Oh, that's great. What is a drill that your players love that we can steal from you? I'll tell you what, one that really took off last year, and it's, it's nothing cutting edge, but for me, and it probably helps because I, as I told you, my physical skills were a little limited. I don't have a great arm. So we do a lot of his overspeed short BP, especially right before the game. If they either do the machine or they do me throwing pretty much as hard as I can from like 20 feet away and just right on top of them. And what it forces them to do is kind of make sure their move is nice and tight and efficient, because if not, I'll, even I can blow them up at that distance. Um, and also make sure they're hunting the proper lanes as they take that BP because they swing at the bad pitches I throw and they leave that lane, they're going to have a tough time and they're, they're not going to like that feel. So short BP. And I like to do from a little angle. If we're facing a righty that night, I'm off to the right side, um, depending on how far off. Um, if he's a lefty, I'm off to the left side. I'm a lefty thrower, but we could still simulate the angle of those pitches uh, by moving the screen. But we like to do that over speed and short uh, to get them to get them ready to hit the best. You know, you, you train like you fight, you know, as the Navy SEAL say, you don't uh, rise to the level of the occasion, you sink to the level of your training. So we want to train them to get ready to go face 95 that they're about to see in, you know, five minutes or, you know, 15 minutes before the game, before they stretch. So that's one of our favorite drills that we like to do. Nice. I love that. What is one of your coaching pet peeves? And the reason that I ask this is because, you know, we as coaches, we see other coaches doing X, Y, or, or Z. And, and we're like, man, I'm so glad that our staff doesn't do that. Or I'm so, or thinking to yourself, I'm glad that I'm not that guy. So what is something that you see other coaches doing, or maybe you did as a younger coach that you're like, Ooh, that's probably not the best thing to do. I think one of the biggest things is forgetting how hard this game is. Like, bringing negativity and say, oh man, how do you swing at that pitch? We've all swung at that pitch one time or another. So I think sometimes we get away from it and we forget how hard this game is. And I never, ever want to forget how hard it is. No, that's so, so, so true. What is something that you want your players to do or just players that you coach to do that may go unnoticed by a lot of people? But you think that that it's important. And, and again, every week I give the example of whenever I was a, a high school coach coaching catchers, always shake the umpire's hand, introduce yourself and create that relationship. Is there anything that, that you do that's similar to that? No, I, I, I think that example is like different than what I was thinking. Um, like I when I think about something I want that goes unnoticed, I was thinking from a baseball perspective. And what I think is. Be 100% invested with a clear mind on every pitch of every at-bat in each game. So you might have a kid who plays defense for 140 pitches, a great shortstop, and he can be invested on every pitch. He's moving, he's reading things. And then we get 16 pitches in a game, and our mind goes in a million different directions. And we waste pitches in a game. That's one of my biggest pet peeves is when we just give away a pitch because we were frustrated about a previous call or – we just didn't have a plan for that pitch. We went away from our plan. But if we can be 100% invested on every pitch of the game and every at-bat in the game, I can evaluate that and look at that and say, good, I like that. We don't need a guy taking a 
thigh high fastball down the middle because he was for some reason looking for a breaking ball on the first pitch or not. You know what I mean? I want our guy, and if he has a good plan for it, I'm okay with it. But to me, being invested mentally and physically on every pitch is, I think, a big separator between being a big leaguer and a guy who doesn't make it. You you say that that's that that's a little bit different of a question, but I think that that was much more impactful than you know introducing yourself to the umpire, being invested every single pitch. I really like that, and and it's something that's really hard to do. But it, again, it, it's something that is so so important, and the best in the world do it. Uh, final question, as far as you know, getting to learn about you. Let's let's talk a little bit about your learning. If you could buy one book, or if you could enroll everyone in a course, or whatever that would be, all of the listeners. What would that be? Absolutely, and and, and to me, I'm I'm going to give you two. I hope you that's okay, but I'm going to do oh, it. Um, the Energy Bus by John Gordon. If you read The Energy Bus and you can have a negative attitude the rest of the day, man, you're an amazing person because I don't know how you could possibly do that. There is so much negativity in this world right now, and when I feel negative thoughts, which aren't often because I'm pretty positive with that stuff, um, I read The Energy Bus. I think it is awesome. I mean, you don't even have to start anywhere. You just pick it up and start reading, and for 15 minutes later, your mind should feel a lot better. Um, the other book, I think, is Atomic Habits by James Clear, and it's funny. If you have a positive attitude and you have great habits uh, like you and I have talked about quite a bit off air. Um, I don't know how you could have bad days. You know, it's to me, 10% is what happens in life and 90% is how you respond to it. So I think if you have a positive attitude and you have great habits to get where you want to be, it's really hard to have bad days. Oh, I love it. Those are pretty easy reads too. Like you, you're not, your head's not going to hurt and you're not going to have to look up a ton of different things. And I think that that's, that is really important uh, whenever you are giving resources, to, especially not knowing what people are interested in. Those are two great, great resources. So thank you for sharing. But Tom, I, I appreciate your time and, and I've loved getting to know you a little bit deeper. Uh, obviously uh, we, we have different conversations, but I've loved getting to hear you share all of this information today. Uh, I will link your Twitter down in the show notes and you can you explain dirt's uh sutaris for us a little bit <laughs> um i think part of being lacking some talent i tried to have, make it up in other areas and uh i enjoyed getting dirty i enjoyed bleeding uh i enjoyed ripping my pants like that kind of stuff was as much fun to me as anything and i you know i grew up and whatever you think about him off the field pete rose was somebody i watched play the game and i wanted to play the game like that and and that kind of that kind of play just gets me going, and that's who I was. And somewhere along the line, I earned the nickname Dirt. So, oh, okay, cool. I love that. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna mute myself and just kind of let you talk to our guests and just share anything that's on your mind. Just give them anything that uh, you want to leave with them today, and and the mic is yours, guys. I, I think the picture is a lot bigger than baseball. Um, when we look out in our world right now, we see so much negativity and. The problem is that's people sitting at keyboards, um, spread positivity, spread love. Um, there's so many great people in this world doing so many great things for people, coaches, especially you guys sacrifice everything every day for people, but you know what? We don't make the news for that. Um, spread positivity, stay away from the negativity. Um, you make a choice of what your attitude is, man, and, and try to bring positivity. If we can, maybe we can overcome this negativity if, if we spread positivity and love as coaches.
Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, which can include Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it on social media to help get the word out. Once again, thank you for joining us.